All right, everyone, take your outlines out. We are in a series entitled The Story. We've been going through the major narratives of the Bible, and this has really been good. I haven't heard this much buzz about a series in a long time, and it's really neat to see so many of you reading your Bibles, uh, participating in growth groups, and then just in general talking about how the Bible is now finally starting to come together. There's some cohesiveness to it. And you're starting to get it, even way back in Genesis 3.15, when the, the fall of man came and the seed of woman is going to have a son that's going to make it all right one day. That's kind of where we're going with this. Now, lately we've been talking about the story of Moses. And uh, Moses was the deliverer. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, received the Ten Commandments, built the tabernacle, takes them all the way up to Kadesh Barnea. They take a wrong left turn. For 40 years they wander in the wilderness, and now they're back at the Jordan River, getting ready to cross Canaan's land. Moses dies. Joshua takes over, and they fight that fortified city called Jericho. Great victory. God gave it to them. And now they live in a land flowing with milk and honey. And the last sermon that Joshua preaches, he's 110 years old. He says, he reads everything Moses had ever written. And he says, now look, you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, how did we finish last week? We Say it with me. We will serve the Lord. Amen. And they all said, amen, amen. You're right on, Josh. That's what we're going to do. And then you get to the book of Judges. Very first page, how does it open up? And a new generation arose that knew not Jehovah. And boom, they're right back where they started from. Isn't that so sad? Parents, do you see how important it is for us to do our job and teach our children about God? Because when we don't, that generation falls apart. Can anyone say America? And then God brings discipline. And that's what he did to Israel. God always disciplines his children. They, they, they get so caught up in enjoying that land flowing with milk and honey, they get so distracted by all those goodies that they forget about who? God. They're, they're, they're so, have you ever so enjoyed a blessing that you forgot about the blesser? And, and you know what? We kind of live in a land flowing with milk and honey, do we not, here in Southern California? The Southland, we got the beaches over here, the mountains over there, the desert over there, and so many attractions and distractions that it's so easy for us to get caught up in enjoying the blessings and we forget about God. And, and, and that's, that's the story here again today. Now, there are a number of judges in the Bible. We haven't got to kings yet. You're going to see some prophets being raised up. But God ruled at this time through judges. And we don't have time to focus on all the judges, and so I want to focus in on this one in particular. His name was Gideon. And let's start in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of who? The Lord. In other words, they're back at it again. They're so distracted by the milk and honey that they take their eyes off the Lord. And now for a seven-year period, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites invaded the country. Like, listen to how the Bible describes them. Like a swarms of locusts, they ravaged the land. So they are fighting a very unconventional, un- conventional warfare. 
You know, they didn't say, okay, meet me in this valley, we'll meet you, and we'll fight it out. No, they don't do that. What they do is they have the Israelites plant their crops, cultivate their crops, and bring in their crops, and right at that time they swoop down in, and then they take all the crops home, and what they don't take home, they burn. They're practicing genocide on God's people. Talk about discipline, huh? Talk about learning a lesson. See what happens to our families when we get far from God. Do you see how important it is that we keep teaching our children to know the Lord? Because when they turn from God, bad things happen. The Israelites, here's the good part. The text says that they cried out to who? The Lord. At least they had still enough knowledge and memory that there's one called Jehovah God. Let's cry out to Him. And I don't care how far you are from God this morning. Remember to cry out to the Lord. And if we learn anything from the prodigal son story, we learn this. It's just one step back, right? Just one step back and the Father runs to greet us. That's the good news. All right, well, let's talk about this guy named Gideon. Who was Gideon? <coughs> Wasn't he that guy that kept leaving his Bible in hotel rooms? <coughs> no. He was a classic example of how God uses difficulties in our lives to change us and to build faith. He was really a farm boy when we start to read his story. He was a farm boy who became a national hero against incredible odds. I'm telling you, the odds were against Israel, but that's when God does his best work, right? He saved Israel when they were at one of their lowest points in history. You know, when things look bad, God looks for a person. When things get bad, God often looks for the most unlikely person, someone that we, from a human vantage point, would never choose. Don't you ever say, God could never use me. Gideon's going to say that. And if God can use Gideon, he can use you too. This is the story of the process that God uses to change losers into leaders. Zeros into heroes. Nobody's into somebody's. You don't have to be somebody to be used by God. That's a, that's a myth. You just need to make yourself available. Get yourself usable and God will use you. It's availability that God is looking for. Now Gideon, <clears throat> what you need to understand about him, he's, um, he's filled with insecurities. He is filled with self-doubt. Uh, psychologists today would say he had an inferiority complex. Are you getting the picture of what Gideon was like? And so the Lord shows up. The Lord can use someone like this. Never count yourself out. The angel of the Lord, chapter 6, verse 11 says, came and sat down under the oak tree in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the son of Gideon, where he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, question for you folks. Why, do you, why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press and not on a threshing floor? Because a wine press, you can kind of duck down and hide. Who is he hiding from? And what's he doing? He's making his lunch. 
And he doesn't want the bully Midianites to come and steal his lunch. He's afraid. And so he's hiding out in this wine press to keep it from who? The Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. Who's this angel of the Lord? Remember last week we we talked about this angel of the Lord a little bit, didn't we? It is a phrase that is used for God himself. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He showed up last week before Joshua went into the battle of Jericho in the form of a man with a sword. Remember that guy? And, and, and Joshua walks up to him and says, Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And he says, No. And you're asking the wrong question. You don't ask me, am I for you? I ask you, are you for me? And all of a sudden, what's Joshua figure out? This is the Lord himself. And he bows down and he worships. This is no ordinary angel. Angels do not accept worship. But a creator does. And so, same one shows up, and he says, The Lord is with you. Now, notice what he calls Gideon. Mighty warrior. Now, Gideon was anything but a mighty warrior. At least at this point in his life. He's afraid of his own shadow. How did God change Gideon? It's a four-step process, and it's the same process that he uses on us today. Step number one, there's got to be affirmation. If you're ever going to change, you need to let God affirm you. God encourages me, and God encourages you when he wants to use you. God sees us not as we are right now, but what we can become. God sees you as a man of God, a woman of God, a mighty warrior of God. Gideon was anything but a mighty warrior, but you know what he had? Here's what I love. He had the potential to become a mighty warrior. God sees us not as we are right now, but he sees what we can become. And and he did this all the time. Do you remember Peter in the New Testament? Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer going to be called what? Simon... I'm now going to call you Peter, Petra, Petros, Rock. And all the other guys laughed, the the other disciples. Rock, Peter, a rock, a solid one. Peter was anything but a solid rock. He was wishy-washy, you know, know, he'd say one thing and do another. Lord, I'll never deny you. And that night, three times deny, you know. Lord, if it be, thou let me walk on the water. Okay, come on out. And he walks on, keeps his eyes on Jesus for a while, but then takes his eyes to Jesus and then he's drowning. Lord, save me. Very impetuous, you know, one of those ready-fire-aim kind of guys. That was Peter. And yet, what did he become on the day of Pentecost? The preacher that led the first apostolic sermon. He became the leader of that group. God calls things that are not as though they are. Peter, you're a solid one. You're a rock. Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. You don't see it yet, but it's coming. I'm going to use you. If you're willing to be used. Gideon's reaction kind of reminds me of Moses' reaction when he was called by God in the burning bush. But sir, Gideon replied, verse 13, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Well, you've heard a little thing called sin. Have you heard about a little thing called falling away from God? And now you need to be disciplined? 
You guys got so caught up in enjoying the land flowing with milk and honey, it's become a distraction. And you've taken your eyes off of me. You know what? I'm going to just bring you back in line. See, because Israel fell into this cycle again and again and again. They would, they would take their eyes off the Lord and sin, and then God would have to bring them into captivity or at least discipline into their lives, and then God would bring them to repentance. And then when they repented, God gave them a deliverer called a judge. You'll read about several judges in the Bible. There's Deborah, there's Samson. We could have talked about a lot of judges today, but this is one of my favorite stories in the, in the book of Judges. And he raises up Gideon, sort of like a, a rescuer of Israel at this particular time, to bring deliverance for the people. And that's Gideon's job if he's willing to accept it. But you know what? When... When a, when a judge takes his place and he does his job, you know what always followed? 40 years of peace, at least 40 years of peace. In one case, there was 90 years of peace. But then when that leader dies off, usually you know what happens again? We get back to the distractions. We get back to life. We get back to enjoying things and forgetting about God. And that's that cycle, you know? Sin, discipline, Repentance, deliverance, sin, discipline, deliverance, uh, or repentance, and then deliverance. That's what's going on. This is several stages of that have already gone by by the time we get to Judges 6. And so he's called a mighty warrior, but now he's making excuses. But, sir, if the Lord is with us, why, 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 why? Where are all the wonders that the fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? You know how it's been centuries ago that that happened. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. What kind of words is Gideon using? Notice, if, why, where, but, how. These are all words of insecurity. Gideon is one insecure man. Verse 15, But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, look, of all the 12 tribes, my tribe is the least of the 12. Half tribe Manasseh. We're on the bottom rung. And my family in the tribe of Manasseh is the lowest in my tribe. And I'm the least in my family. I'm the runt of the litter. We live in Oprah. Oprah means land of dustiness. What's he saying? God, you don't want me. Get somebody else. And that's the typical Christian today when someone comes along and says, hey, we want to use you. Can you serve here? Can you serve there? Can you step up to some leadership? Ah, get somebody else. I'm the least in my family. God can't use me. Never say that. If we learn anything from Gideon, we we need to learn to never say never. People miss God's plan for their life because they just can't see themselves in the role of a dynamic Christian leader. But I love God's response. His response is encouragement. Just as he encouraged Moses, he encouraged Gideon to hang in there because you've got me. 
The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. What strength does Gideon have to save Israel from Midian? Notice what the Lord says. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Who's who's in charge here, Gideon or the Lord? It's the Lord. The Lord is with Gideon. The Lord is Gideon's strength, and the Lord is your strength as well. And so he says, I'm the one sending you. I will be with you. You're going to strike down Midian as if they were but one man. Here's the point. When you're doing God's will, you cannot fail. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Step two, not only do you need some affirmation to get involved in ministry, you need some revelation. God gets to know you and you get to know God. And the more you get to know God, the more you get to trust God, the more you trust God, the more you're willing to risk for God and go out on a limb. And this this risk thing is starting to build as this trust thing begins to build. Verse 17, "If, if I've now found favor, in the eyes, in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait for your return. Oh, I love those two words. I'll wait. Aren't you grateful that we've got a God that will give us time to grow? I'll wait. Aren't you grateful that we've got a God that is patient with us and doesn't expect, grow up right here, right now, instantly. Growth doesn't happen that way. Faith takes a while. You've got to have a test to have a testimony, and so God will do some tests along the way. But he'll be with you along the way, and he'll strengthen your faith along the way. And Gideon rushes off and And he prepares a meal, some meat and some bread and some broth, and he takes it. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, says, put it right there on that stone and pour the broth out all over it. And he does that. And then Jesus takes his staff and he touches that. And boom, it goes up as a sacrifice to the Lord. And they both disappear, the meal and the Lord. God's ready for Gideon. Gideon's not ready for God. Now watch what happens in verse 22. When Gideon realizes that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord! He gets it now. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It was a common theory. The theory of that day was, if you actually saw God face to face, if you met the angel of the Lord, you would die. Guess what Gideon's now thinking in his mind? I'm going to die. And what's the Lord have to do? The Lord's thinking, Gideon, you're not going to die. You're going to be my man. You're going to go out there and you're going to lead the charge against Midian. I'm not going to kill you. But Gideon doesn't know that, so he needs a word from the Lord. Have you ever needed a word from the Lord? Here's the word from the Lord. Don't be afraid. You're not going to what? Die. Told you Gideon was afraid he was going to die. God says, you're not going to die. Here's what's going to happen. So Gideon builds an altar. That, that means he's making a commitment to God. And he called it the Lord is peace. And it stands there to this day, or at least the day of that writing. God is peace. See, when you built an altar, that was an outward sign that you were committing to God. You know, today we'll say, I'm committing to God. Uh, last week, 
Ryan Reese says, I want to commit my life to God, and I'm going to show everybody I'm doing that, and he got baptized into Christ. Some of you were here, right? Well, back then, when you committed to God, you built an altar to God. And that altar says, I never want to forget that it was right here at this place that I met the Lord himself. He committed to me, I committed to him. And so his faith is growing. I love that. And the Lord is being patient. And, uh, and, and I tell you this, before you're ready for external battles, you've got to have internal peace. And the Lord has given him peace. So you need affirmation. Then you need revelation. You need to know the Lord personally. But you need a confrontation. Now, God's going to see if Gideon really does mean business. A lot of people say, yeah, yeah, I mean business. I'm going to make a commitment. And then you never see him again. That's not Gideon. Gideon is given a big test. Remember, God will always test you when you come to him. Before God will ever give you a huge assignment in a significant way, he will test you. And in this case, he says, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. Go and tear down your father's altar to Baal. He's an idol worshiper. What's the second commandment? Don't make a graven image. Don't bow down to it. Guess what his daddy's doing? Worshiping Baal, the Asherah. Verse 25. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, one of seven, one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar. Gulp. I don't know about you, but my dad didn't like me in his room. It was off limits. You had to have permission. You had to knock on the door. And you know what? We raised our son the same way. He couldn't just walk into our bedroom. There had to be a knock on the door. And so you can see how personal this is getting, right? You mean, you want me... (laughs) I'm not even supposed to touch my dad's altar. He said, keep your hands off my stuff, and now you want me to tear down my dad's altar? Gulp. That's right. This is a test. Has God ever tested you? How'd how'd you do? Did you pass? Well, tear down your father's altar, to Baal and cut down the Asherah. Then build the proper kind of altar to the Lord. You know how to do that. And on top, uh, and build that on top of this bluff, bluff using the wood of the Asherah that you cut down after the second bull, offer the second bull as an offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. What's the idol in your life that needs to be torn down? What's the bale in your backyard that needs to be removed? God's going to test you. He's going to test you. It may be a spiritual test. Maybe your idol is a person. Maybe your idol is a possession. He will test you not only spiritually, but emotionally. Remember whose altar this was. This was daddy's altar. It's a, you know, when you're dealing with family, that can get real emotional, can it? And then there may be a physical test. He could have died for doing this. Could have lost his life. Verse 28. He does it in the morning when the men of the town got up. There was Baal's altar demolished. And the Asherah beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the altar. 
they asked each other, who, who did this? They're angry. They're mad. When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. So the men of the town demanded of Joash, his dad, bring out your son. He must what? Die. Look how far downhill Israel has fallen. There was a day and time that if you built an altar to a God other than God, you would die. Now when you tear down an altar built to another God, you're going to be the one to die. I mean, it's like opposite day. The Bible says, Woe unto a man, woe unto a nation, who calls good evil and evil good. Those are the days that Gideon is living in. They are calling evil good and good evil. Here's the point. If you get serious about serving God, expect fireworks. You know, you may cause a riot in our culture when you start sharing what we believe that's different from our culture. The culture is going to hate you. They hated Jesus. They're going to hate you. Just expect it. So you need affirmation. You need revelation. You need confrontation. But then there's one more thing before you make a transformation. And that's what the Lord's about to do in Gideon's life. He will empower you. You get this other stuff right, God's going to get his part right. Verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet as a call to arms. And 32,000 troops show up. Wow. When Gideon blew a trumpet, people showed up. Say, well, maybe he does got some leadership ability. You know, maybe God really is with this guy. Maybe we can defeat these Midianites. Now, 32,000 isn't really much if you stop to think about the size of the army Midian was coming with in that valley. They had 135,000 men against 32,000 men. And so, um, if you were the general going up against those odds, you think you might be a little bit apprehensive and want a little bit more assurance. And that's Gideon, too. It's just natural. And so he says, Lord, if you're really with me, if you've really called me to do this, I'm, I'm kind of growing, I'm kind of seeing what you're doing in my life, but this is a big step. You know? It's like, I'm going to church every Sunday, and I'm almost up to a full tithe, and now you really want, you want me to teach a growth group? If you've really called me, well, God says, yeah, I've really called you. Well, then prove it by doing this. Remember, he takes the fleece out puts it on the threshing floor, and he says, tomorrow morning when I wake up, have it dry all around this fleece, but let the fleece be filled with dew. Next morning, that's exactly what happens. He took that fleece, and he wrung a whole bowl full out. And then he says, okay, Lord, don't be angry. Don't be angry with me. But if you've really called me, uh, I'm going to put this fleece back down on the threshing floor, and would you reverse it? You know, right about that time, if I were God, I would say, all right, Gideon, maybe you're not the man. Bink! Get out of here. Let's get someone new. Aren't you glad I'm not God? I'm very impatient. But our God is patient with us. What did he say earlier? I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll encourage. I'll empower. You're about to be transformed. And the next morning, it was just like he said, it was the opposite. And now he's rallied 32,000 troops, and God says, okay, I did what I said I would do. Now I want you to do something for me. You've rallied the troops, but you've got too many. You can just see Gideon go, whoa, wait, wait a second. 32,000 against 135,000? We don't have enough. 
And from a human point of view, that's the way it would look. And he said, no, 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 no. You're going to win, but if this many go out there and defeat the Midianites, guess what everyone's going to think? We did it, and they pat themselves on the back. And so we need to whittle this thing down a little bit. So he says, I want you to ask anybody who's fearful uh, to admit that and just let them to go home. I don't know what that looked like, but I kind of envision it like this. Okay, everybody line up, trips, line up, trips. Anybody afraid? Uh, take one step forward. Now, no one wants to be the first guy, right? But at some point, someone's like, oh, I don't mind, I'm afraid. And then another and another and another fear is contagious. And 22,000 scaredy cats later, that's how many stepped forward, went home to mama. And that's exactly what God wanted to happen. What's the number one commandment in the Bible, folks? Fear not. Don't be afraid, because what does fear do? It infects the camp. Why did Israel have to wander in the wilderness for 42 years? Ten fearful men spread it to two and a half million. You see why fear and, and discouragement and depression and whining and complaining should not be in the church? It affects everybody else. Don't be afraid. And now they're down to 10,000 men. And Gideon's going, boy, this is going to be a battle, man. This is going to be tough. But God says, Gideon, um, you still got too many. What? Yeah, uh, go, go give all the troops a drink. And those that get down on all four and kind of lap it up like a dog, uh, watch out for those guys. But the guys that grab their cup of water in their hand and they're looking for the enemy, they're looking around, they're alert. They're on top of things. You watch for those. Those are the guys you want. 300 men brought the water up to their mouth. We're down to 300, folks. I don't know if you did the math, but that's like 450 to 1 odds. Each Israelite soldier must take on 450 Midianites for victory. These are pretty tough odds, aren't they? Would you go into battle? Have you been transformed enough? Well, God thinks Gideon needs one more little booster shot. Oh, I love God. He's good at giving booster shots. He says, Gideon, and now remember, it's, they're down in the valley. They're up here on the hill. And they're, the, the fight's going to be real soon. It's dark. It's about midnight. The, the shifts are changing in the Midian camp. The night watches. And God says, take your servant. Go on down there. I want you to hear something. So he sneaks down into the enemy camp, Gideon does, with a servant. Now, at that time, one of the soldiers has a dream, and he wakes up, and he comes outside the tent, and he tells his fellow soldier, he says, man, you're not going to believe this dream I just had. I had a dream that this big barley loaf came down from that hill up there, and it rolled, and it rolled, and it rolled, and it knocked over our tent, flattened it, leveled it, crushed it, destroyed it. What do you think this means? And his friend says this, and his friend says this. This could be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, what dream interpretation school did that guy go to? But that's a pretty good old interpretation, isn't it? I don't know how God does it, but I just know God does it. He shows up at the right time in the right place, 
And the right ears hear the word and get encouraged. See why you should never miss a church service. You never know what encouragement you're going to receive that day. And I don't know if God put that in this guy's heart or not. He may have, or it just may have been that guy just said, man, we can't fight God's people. And I think that's what it means. I don't know. But I do know this. Gideon had a worship service right then and right there, man, and his servant. They, they worshiped God when they heard that. He was so charged up. He was so fired up. I mean, aren't you glad that, well, I think what this uh, interpretation means is um, uh, we're out of bread. Or maybe this interpretation means we're eating too much bread and it's going to kill us. You know, there's other interpretations he could have said, right? But he said the right one at the right time and the right place and the right ear heard it. And he goes up and he wakes up the guys in his camp. And he says, the battle's on. We're going to do it right here, right now, tonight. God's giving me the battle plan. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Okay, well, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to get your 300 men up and tell them all to get a clay pot. Oh, great, Lord. I always thought clay pots made really good weapons of war. Yeah, clay pot, good idea. And then I want you to get a torch and light it. All right, a torch could be useful, I suppose. Maybe you can hit someone in the head with it. And then I want you to uh, get a ram's horn. Yeah, horns are good. But take that clay torch, I mean that, that torch, put it under the clay pot. That keeps it lit, but it keeps it dark. And I want your 300 men to spread out around the camp of Midian. And then, on my command, what I want you to do is everybody take the lid, the clay pot, off the torch and break it. Throw it down. Now, that's going to make a noise, isn't it? And if you're asleep or slightly asleep, that's going to wake you up. And you're going to think, what was that? And now what are they going to see? Hold that torch up high. It's going to look like you are completely surrounded. And remember, you're waking up the other camp too, right? They're kind of groggy and foggy. And when they come out, they're going to hear trumpets and shouts like, Sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now when they hear that, Guess what had already, the rumor mill had already started in the camp, because I know how rumors start. I know how fear spreads. Don't you know that that interpretation made its way around the camp? And so here they wake up, they grab their swords, they're running around in their pajamas out, you know, outside their tent. It's pitch dark, they see all these lights. And anything that moved, anything that got near them, any little sound, they're slicing and dicing, and they start hacking each other up. They're thinking it too. It's got to be an Israelite. And 100,000 dead Midianites later, guess what Gideon and the men are doing? Oh, this is a tough old battle. Watch those guys kill themselves. 100,000 were taken out that night. And they didn't have to fire a shot. Now the next morning there's like 32,000 left and they take off running and they have to track them down and weed them out and it's, a, it's an interesting story. But what I want you to see here is how when you follow God's plan of affirmation, revelation, and, and confrontation, you get transformed. Gideon became a national hero. Someone who a few weeks earlier was afraid of his own shadow. Couldn't tie his own shoes. And now, you know, making a lunch in a wine press. So the bullies don't take it. He now leads God's people into a great victory. What a beautiful story of God's power. 
and God's faithfulness. And now when those 300 men go marching home and they tell their wives and their parents and their children that they had a great victory against the Midianites, you know what they're quick to say? We didn't do it. God did it. There's no way 300 men could do that. And they gave the glory to God. And that's how God works in our lives today too. Don't forget that. That's why we're doing these narratives. This God of the Old Testament has not changed in the New Testament. He's the same God that wants to help you and your family and build your faith. It's not your ability. We see that from looking at Gideon. But it's your availability. See the difference? It's not your ability. It's your availability. Who's going to be available to say yes to God when God calls? That's the question. For some of you, you're at stage one this morning, and God just wants to encourage you. Just build your faith. Some of you are at stage two. You need to get to know God personally. Get into this book. Read His Word. Talk to Him. We just call that prayer. Some of you are at stage three. Let God test you. Let God test you maybe some areas of your life. Maybe with your finances. Maybe you say, Lord, I've not been given like I should. I'm going to really... That's the one area God says you can test him in with your finances. See if God's going to be faithful. Some of you are at stage four. Let God empower you so that you can face life's battles in his strength and not your own. Get it? Good. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life of Gideon. It's amazing how you can take somebody like Gideon, who was afraid of his own shadow, and turn him into a hero. Lord, we want to be like that. Lord, change us. Transform us. Encourage us. Prepare us for service in ways that maybe we have never thought possible. In Jesus' name, amen. We never like to end a service without offering an invitation. If you're here this morning and you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, want to get to know Him personally today, let us know as together we stand and sing to the Lord.